You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Pause and let's pray before we dive into the Gospel of John this morning. Father, uh, Lord, we just come before you uh, grateful. My heart is just grateful to you. Lord, you are a good and awesome God. You are a loving Father. You are faithful, you are true, and you are just. You are merciful and you are gracious. And these things about you never change in the midst of our shifting world and shifting lives. We can count on you to be the rock of our salvation. So God, thank you for who you are. We ask God that you would come and that you would Help us by the power of your spirit as we open your word that you would um, give me the appropriate amounts of clarity and words and boldness as I preach, but that you would open all of our hearts collectively as a church family to help us hear from you, to be challenged by you, to be encouraged by you, to be rebuked by you, to be taught by you as we open your word. We know that your word is living, it's active, it's breathing. And it causes change. And so we ask God that you would do that deep within us. Lord, we pray that you would um, remove any barriers or hindrances uh, in our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our midst today. And that you, would, um, that you would just help us to hear from you. Help us to feed on your very presence. Help us to leave this place today hearing from your word and being in your presence. And help us to leave as new people. So God, pray that. We beg you to do it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. And so today, um, this is kind of crazy. Some of you uh, might get a kick out of this. Uh, today is a historical day. Anybody know what today is? Sunday. It is Sunday. Good job. Good job. Today is a historical day. It's August 6th. On this day, five years ago, August 6th of 2012, my wife and I, gathered with four other adults on a park bench here in Hastings, dreaming about this call to plant a church. Not even kidding you, right? Like five years ago, and here we are, on the same date, um, in a different place. Uh, at that time, when we met in, at the, on that park bench um, here, uh, we had no church name. We had no church building, no discipleship plan. Just had the Bible in our hands and had this strong sense that God had called us to plant a church. We had no money in the bank. Didn't even have a bank account, I don't think. Um, but we gathered anyways simply because we had this, like I said, strong sense that God wanted us to plant a church uh, here in Hastings. We, we believed that God wanted us to plant a church that would be gospel-centered, where the gospel would be preached and proclaimed in the lives and in the words of people. We believed that God wanted us to plant a church that would have a strong sense of community or family, uh, belonging to one another and belonging to Christ. We believed that God wanted us to plant a church uh, that would engage God's mission to seek and to save the lost, those who are far from him and had not heard the gospel. These were the things that we believed intensely then, and we believed that he was calling us to just lead that charge, right, and gather people. So there we were, six adults, and I think... 10 kids. We've always been outnumbered by kids. If you've been in our home and met our family, you know 
seven kids, two adults, we are outnumbered. And that's just the way it's been from day one. And here we are, five years later, uh, still gathering in community on Sunday morning, still gathering throughout the week in gospel communities. Uh, We've got a few more people now than we had then. Um, Gathering in this rented facility, right? Doing set up and tear down uh, every week. Uh, Got a little bit of money in the bank. Um, Actually have a bank account. A little bit more clearly defined discipleship strategy and what we believe God has called us to do in terms of reaching people and seeing disciples made. Um, And we have a church name. We have a church name that is based on the text that we're going to study over the course of the next three weeks. Now, I will be honest. um, I love the strategizing plan, but one thing that I did not plan was to begin preaching John chapter 4 and Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well on this day. I did not plan that in a way where I connected the dots until I sat down and began prepping this sermon. And I was like, holy smokes, look at what the Lord has done. So let's, uh, let's open the Bible. Let's turn to John chapter 4. My hope is that God, as we open his word, and as we read it, as we study it, that he would teach us and shape us and convict us and encourage us, right? So let's dive into that. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So this, uh, this portion of this story of Jesus encountering this woman at the well. Or better yet, a better way to say it is that the woman at the well encounters Jesus. Right? The woman at the well encounters Jesus. And what Jesus does is he engages her in a conversation that will absolutely, radically transform and change her life. So that's, that's really the point of this text as we look at it. It's the point that I want to make today. Like my heart and my desire for us here at the well is that we 
would become a Christ-encountering people, that we would become like this woman at the well and encounter Jesus in the average places of life. Not just a group of people who uh, gather throughout the week uh, because we get jacked up for our new group of friends or because we get to serve uh, or because we found a church family that we really feel comfortable with um, or because we have a strong sense of belonging. I know Ryan talked about that last week, right? Like all, all those things are good. All those things are good. To have a sense of belonging, to have a great group of friends, to be able to serve, to give yourself away. All those things are good. They should not be primary. My prayer is that we would find that the primary reason to be who we are is so that we can become a people who encounter Christ and all of that he wants for us. So as we examine uh, this story of the woman encountering Jesus uh, at the well, um, what I want to do is I want to ask kind of this question. Like, what are some of the barriers in her day that would have prohibited her or stopped her from encountering Jesus in such a way that she would begin to follow him faithfully, in such a way that her life would be radically changed and transformed from that moment forward? What were some of the barriers? See, every culture, every society, every person, every individual faces barriers that, that can be like prohibitors, that can stop them or stop us from following Jesus faithfully and belonging to him. But, but what God's word does is God's word speaks into those barriers. It demolishes those barriers. It breaks those barriers down. It breaks down what separates you and I from God. The message of the gospel is just simply that, that Jesus came to die on a cross to, to, to break down the barrier that separated you and I from God so that we could come into his loving presence. It's not by our works that we are enabled to come into God's presence. It is by God's work of giving his son at the cross that we are enabled to come in his presence. And then we are changed. You and I can't change ourselves. This woman had no hope of changing herself. Only her encounter with Jesus that day and then from that day forward, every moment by moment, every day by day, only that could give her the hope of truly encountering God. So as we examine this, let's take a look at the different barriers. I have five barriers that, that I noticed in the text. I'm going to begin with uh, verses 1 through 6. The first barrier that I see is what I would call the place barrier. The place barrier. The place barrier, if I can explain that and what my thinking is on this. Um, the place barrier is any place that, that, that you believe that Jesus won't or can't <coughs> come into so that you can experience salvation or radical change. Now think about that. Any place that you believe Jesus won't or can't come to. Or it could be the opposite way. It could be any place that you are unwilling to go to so that you could actually encounter Jesus. John tells us in this passage that Jesus left Judea, right? And he was headed to Galilee, okay? So get this picture in your head. Anybody know where Judea and Galilee are? No, right? So it's hard for, to make that connection, isn't it, as you think about this? As you think about Jesus leaving one city and getting ready to head to a different city. 
leaving Judea, and he's headed to Galilee. And while he was on that journey, John tells us that he had to go through Samaria. So, so think about this. The way that you and I might think about this might be like, hey, I got to go to Grand Island this afternoon, right? And I'm in Hastings, and I had to go through Donovan. That's probably the way we would read it, right? We would think a straight line from Hastings to Grand Island, I had to go through Donovan. But that's not the way, that's not the way that John is telling this story. The reality is if you look at a map to see where Judea and Galilee are, is on the way to Galilee from Judea, Jesus actually made a massive detour. Okay? He actually went way over here first to Samaria before heading over to Galilee. So why does, why does John say that Jesus had to go through Samaria? I mean, for us, it'd be simply like saying this. Uh, today, I'm headed to Grand Island from Hastings, and I just had to go through Harvard. Now, why would anybody have to go through Harvard? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a, no. <laughs> I could go, <laughs> we could have fun with that, right, Andrew? <laughs> it's a dirty place. No. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. If Andrew was here today, and he is, if he, was standing, if he was standing up here, and if Heather was at home, and they had previously made plans to go to Grand Island, right? And we say, Andrew left Hastings to go to Grand Island, and he had to go through Harvard. Why would he have to go through Harvard? To grab his wife, because he loves her, right? To go to Grand Island. So that would be another way of just saying that Jesus had to go through Samaria, okay? Jesus had to go through Samaria because this woman was going to be at the well that day, and he loved her. This is the reason that he had to go through Samaria. I mean, the reality about Samaria, when you think about the way the Jewish people and the Jewish culture viewed Samaria as a place, um, this is a place that they avoided. The Jewish nation would avoid Samaria at all costs. They would plan extra time if they had to take a trip that would potentially take them through Samaria so that instead of going through the place of Samaria, they would go around the place of Samaria. And if they absolutely had to go through or to the place of Samaria, when they got out the other side, they would take off their sandals and they would shake the dust off their sandals. So picture that you and I might have of shaking the dust off my feet, right, from being in that place. This is the way the Jewish folks um, did that. And the reason for that um, is because Samaria was the home of a group of people called Samaritans. And Samaritans are people that the Jews basically didn't like. I could go into all sorts of explanation here, but basically this place was full of people that the Jews would have no dealings with. It created a barrier for them that kept them from going to or through Samaria. So they refused to travel through there. This is a place that they would never go to. So for Jesus, a Jewish man, to be sitting at this well at noon on that day was unheard of. It's a barrier of place. For me, sometimes I'm unwilling to go to the place that God is calling me to go to. 
Uh, sometimes I'm unwilling to have that conversation maybe with a difficult person, somebody that I think is difficult maybe. Maybe I'm unwilling sometimes to confess my sin, unwilling to resist my sin, unwilling to go to the place that God is calling me to go to, unwilling to believe that God would come into those places of my life. What's that like for you? I think that we all have some places of our hearts and lives that we mistakenly believe. Jesus would not go there. Let me just say this for a second. Jesus was willing to be dragged to the cross and into your sin so that he could save you and I. This is what he was willing to do. That's the good news of the message of the gospel is that Jesus breaks down this barrier of place. There is no place that Jesus isn't willing to go to to save and to change people. No place. That place that you're unwilling to go to, he went there, he's there, and he's waiting for you to go there. It's the beauty of the message of the gospel. Jesus demolishes the barrier of place. He breaks it down. He destroys it so that you and I can go there and be in his presence. He does that so that we can become Christ-encountering people. Now, the second barrier that I see in our text is in verses 7 through 9, something that I would call the person barrier. It directly flows out of the place barrier for us. The person barrier just a, a bit of a description on that so you've got some context. Man, the person barrier is simply that barrier of the kind of person that you think you need to be to actually encounter Christ. It's the barrier of the kind of person that you think Jesus would actually want to encounter. Like some of us are so ashamed, so ashamed of ourselves, or we feel so guilty or so unlovable or so fearful. We're so controlled by those feelings of who we think we are. I'm a shameful person. I'm a guilty person. I'm an unlovable person. I'm a, I'm, I'm a fearful person. Jesus would never want to spend time with a person like me. We mistakenly believe that. And so what happens is we wind up living behind a barrier that impedes or prohibits us from encountering Christ in a life-giving way. See, the Jewish people uh, didn't necessarily just avoid Samaria because they didn't like the kind of sand that they had there, okay? Um, the Jewish people didn't avoid Samaria because they didn't like the kind of food that they served up in their pubs and their, in their restaurants, or the kind of beer they served. They didn't avoid because of, they avoided Samaria because of the kind of people that were there. They avoided Samaria because for all intents and purposes, as you study this out, the Samaritans were a mixed race of people. And for, for the Jews then, they had this deep value and belief that somehow those of us her, that, that, that are more like mutts, like me, right, just mixed from all sorts of areas, somehow dirty, right? Just dirty and, 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 and unclean, kind of that joke we were talking about earlier. For all intents and purposes, that's the way the Jewish folks saw the people in Samaria. Unreachable. Thought they were dirty Gentiles. Didn't want to be around 
those people, okay? Now, let me just say this. In different cultures in our society, we all do this. Listen, you don't have to wear a tie and a suit jacket um, and be that person who's kind of snobby with the nose up in the air. You don't have to be that kind of person who doesn't like the rougher crowd. You can also be the rougher crowd who doesn't like that kind of person with a suit and a tie and believes they have their nose up in the air. And we can, by having our heads down, still have our heads up in the air and our noses. So, so this is not just one group of people. We all, this is a universal issue. We look at other cultures and other groups of people, and we say, man, I don't know about those people, right? I don't know if they're reachable. I don't know that they're worth my time. I think we connect to this. Really, really, really the, the, the racial thing here is not, while it's a big issue in our culture today, and I think it always has been because hearts are broken, that's not really, I don't think, the biggest issue in this text as I look at it. I don't even think that the biggest issue in this text is not so much that, that the woman was a Samaritan woman, right? Not, not so much just that she was a woman either because no Jewish man would ever get caught talking to a woman in public because somehow that's shameful to do that in, in their culture if we're just digging in and understanding what's happening here. It wasn't just so much that she was a woman and a man shouldn't be talking to a woman in public um, for fear of what that might look like. I think the, the, the biggest shocker, I think, in this, um, in this text is the kind of woman, the kind of person that this woman is. She was an immoral woman. She's most likely a prostitute if you read the rest of the story. Most likely a prostitute. Spent her life jumping from one dude to the next. Can you imagine? Imagine the kind of barrier that this would have created for that woman to actually encounter Jesus in a life-giving and transformative way. Like she's coming to the well alone at midday rather than early in the morning when the other women came, right? Other women would have gone to the well early in the morning, but she's coming at midday. I think and I believe she's coming at midday because she's trying to avoid, anybody here ever avoid, the uncomfortable presence of somebody else. The avoiding the uncomfortable presence of someone that you might have conflict with. That's what she's doing. She's avoiding the company of these women whose husbands that she had possibly been sleeping with or had slept with in the past. Imagine how uncomfortable that would be to come to the well to get your water in the same line of other women whose men you might have slept with. This is a tough place for this woman, right? This would have created a massive barrier for any Jewish man, for any man, I think have created a massive barrier. But what Jesus does is he demolishes that barrier. I want to say this over and over and over again. The barriers that you think are keeping you from experiencing the presence of Christ in a life-giving and transformative way, those barriers have been broken at the cross. Been broken at the cross. Is nothing that stops you from coming into Jesus' presence for salvation and change. Jesus demolishes that barrier. And guess, here's how he does it. Simple words, right? Simple conversation. Hey, lady, can I have a drink of water? Asks her for something. Let that resonate with you for a minute. Jesus asks this woman for something. Come back to this again later, but think of how many times this woman had been asked for something by a little boy in man's jeans. 
Think about how often she'd been asked for something. And how painful and scary and fearful this moment might have been for her. Asking me for a drink of water? And I used to believe that, um, that I was the barrier to encountering Jesus. Right? Anybody here feel like that sometimes? Like you're the barrier? There's no way that God could want to come into your presence or be with you, especially if he knows what happened last night. I used to believe that Jesus would never want to be around a guy like me. All of my issues, all of my problems, all of my sin, I used to think that Jesus would look at me and just say, man, you're a waste of my time. This is the negative self-talk that takes place, has taken place deep down inside of me. I used to think that Jesus would just look at me and say, you are a big fat waste of my time. You can't get your crap together. Like you need to help yourself before I'm going to help you. The good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost just like me. He came to do that for you and for I. He came to encounter you and I in such a way that he would give us brand new life. He came to change us. He came to love you. He came to, he came to save you. He crossed the person barrier and said, no, you're a person that I love, that I want to come and be with. The God of the universe who created all things. John tells us in the beginning in John chapter 1 that, that there was the word and the word was God. And then the word became man in the flesh. This is Jesus. God in the flesh came in the flesh to sit down next to you in the deep waters of the well of your soul so that he could do what? Refresh you, change you, give you a new heart, calm the storms that are raging out of control deep down inside of your soul. He came to speak peace to the storm of sin that has been created in your heart and life. That's what he came to do so that you could experience his life-giving presence. He came and he broke down that person barrier. He loves you. The third barrier that I see is what I would call the resource barrier, verses 10 through 12. The resource barrier is basically kind of like that big mountain, okay? That big mountain that you hide behind when you believe that Jesus doesn't have the resources necessary to bring you the healing you need or the satisfaction that you desire. It's that place of despair that you go to when you start gutting it out all by yourself, all alone, instead of relying on God to be enough for you. Like sometimes, sometimes we do this simply because um, God doesn't give us what we wanted. That's sometimes I think is why we do that, when God doesn't give us what we wanted. You ever go without what you wanted for a long, long time and just start to get really frustrated? You know what I mean? Like you've been begging God and asking God for that one thing to happen. And he doesn't give that to you. And you start to get frustrated. You start to actually believe that Man, God doesn't have the resources to give me what I was looking for. Like struggle with loneliness your entire life, maybe. Struggle with the acceptance your entire life. Feel like nobody has ever accepted me. 
a struggle with that unlovable feeling, maybe, and just always wondered, like, why doesn't God give me what I want in this area? I'll tell you what it is. It must be that he lacks the resources to give me what I've wanted. And then what happens is when we begin to believe that deception, those lies, when we begin to believe those things, instead of them relying on God, and what we do uh, is we, we then, like, we, we go sit in a corner, right? And we kind of start pouting, like, hmm, God, you didn't answer that prayer. You didn't give me what I wanted. I'm, I'm mad at you. We begin to accuse God, the creator of heaven and earth, the maker of all things, the one who has all power at his fingertips. We begin to accuse him of not having the resources to overcome or to satisfy or to fulfill. Right? We begin to say, God, you're not big enough then because you didn't do this thing for me. What we do is we make ourselves the judge and ruler, and we then sit on the throne and we begin to judge God. We accuse him of not having enough. So this, this woman in the text, I think she's got to be in utter shock. Right? It's in utter shock because Jesus is asking her, for a drink of water. As I said earlier, my imagination as I see her, maybe as you think about her next to that well, um, I see her just wondering, like, a drink of water? You want a drink of water from me? Well, like, what else do you want? Right? What else do you really want from me? Are you, you're really here not just to get a drink of water. There's more that you want from me, Right? This woman is used to being used and abused for other people's pleasure. She's used to men taking what they want from her. She asks, like, why are you talking to me? It's almost as though she's asking, like, okay, what, what do you really want from me? Like, like what's the catch here? Right? Like, what's the catch, Jesus? I, listen, you don't have to be a woman to be thinking that way. I think us men, we all think this way at times. Like, okay, God. Um, if you want me to come follow you to serve, give my time, my talent, my treasure to you, um, what's the catch there? What else do you want from me? And then we hear texts where Jesus says things like, I want your whole life. And we go, oh. Hard for us to hear that in a life-giving way, I think, sometimes, when we hear Jesus say those things. Because we miss the context that Jesus is the one who gave himself sacrificially, not so that you could be used and abused by him, but so that you could be animated into a brand new life that lives free from your sin and your guilt and your shame and your depravity. He came to give himself, not take from you or I. It's Jesus' answer too in the text. His answer is classic gospel, classic good news. It's basically saying, I'm not here to take from you. I'm here to give you new life. He's there to help her understand that all of her seeking for meaning and fulfillment at the dead, stagnant waters of sexual sin and, and human relationships, all of that can be over right now she would just come to the point where she would realize who he is and what he comes to do. If she would come to a place to understand who he is and what 
his intentions are for her because he can give her living water. She would never thirst again. Now her response, like her response, you think about that, her response is classic too. Kind of shows where her heart is at. Her words give her away, right? Out of the fullness of our hearts, our mouths speak. Her words give her away. There's this resource barrier between her and Jesus. She doesn't believe that, that, that he has what it takes to actually change her life. She doesn't even understand that he's offering her eternal life in the first place. She's more concerned about physical water being piped into her house so she doesn't have to serve up stagnant water anymore out of a well. Or she wishes that he would do that but doesn't believe that she, he can. She doesn't want to make that trip to the well anymore. She runs the risk of encountering other mad women, right? Or runs the risk of encountering another little boy who has man's clothes on but doesn't act like a man and is only there to take advantage of her. She doesn't want to go there anymore either. She's still stuck in this physical realm. Long story short, she doesn't see a bucket in Jesus' hand. He doesn't appear to be a successful businessman. He doesn't appear to have the resources like her hero Jacob did, right? Doesn't even have the resources to get his own water out of the well. And he's telling her, I got living water for you. She gets stuck in this physical resource area. She thinks that all of her problems are physical issues, not spiritual. So she hides behind that resource barrier. And she accuses Jesus of not having enough resources to help her. Sometimes I struggle with this. I don't know about you. I struggle with believing that Jesus really has the resources necessary to satisfy every longing, like deep within my soul. Sometimes I believe that he alone is enough to satisfy my loneliness or dispel my fear or provide for my needs. Sometimes I even wonder if he really has the amount of resources necessary to really forgive me again or truly love me every time I fall into sin again. Anybody else ever struggle with that? I'm just wondering, God, do you, could he really have the resources necessary to meet me there? Good news. <laughs> I've been trying to say all morning. It's so good for my soul to hear over and over again. The good news is that Jesus himself is more than enough to satisfy every deep longing within you and me. He's enough. It's just that we don't think he's enough. We've been deceived into believing he's not enough. Jesus has endless amounts of resources to spend on me. Somebody say that deep down inside of yourself. Don't say it this way. Don't say, man, Jesus has an endless amount of resources to spend on you. Like, it's good to say that. But say that to yourself for a minute. Preach that to your own soul for a minute. Jesus has Endless resources to spend on me. Let that sink in. That did wonders for my soul this week as I studied. His resources are enough. He is enough. The resource barrier with God is a facade. It's a facade. 
comes to Jesus, man, he has endless amounts of resources to spend on it. Every one of us so that we can become Christ encountering people. Now, number four, the fourth barrier that I see is what I would call the thirst barrier. Verses 13 through 15. The thirst barrier, um, just my little description, is kind of that insatiable thirst, that insatiable hunger for anything apart from God, okay? Anything apart from God. It could even be good and godly things that you thirst or hunger for. It could be relationships aren't bad, right? A refreshment at night at home in your living room, not bad. could be good and godly, right? It could be that deep thirst deep down inside of you for any of those things apart from God. It's that struggle that you face where someone or something is more attractive to you than the presence of God. Think for a minute with me about where that space is in your life. That struggle that you face where someone or something is more attractive to you than being in the presence of God. It could be an accomplishment that you want to accomplish, something you're trying to build, right? Something you're trying to get. Or you believe that someone or something will fulfill your wildest dreams, all your desires. So what happens is you then live your life in constant pursuit and thought of that person or that habit or that thing. Your hunger for it. You, you, you think about it all the time. You, you thirst for it. You do everything you can do to get it. It might be a better bank account. It might be a nicer car. Do anything you can to get it and not lose it once you get it. You do everything you can to keep a hold of it. You thirst for it deeply, believing that it or they will satisfy your thirst. And what happens? Once you get it or them or whatever it is, you find out it doesn't satisfy. And you keep chasing it. That's where that old term, chasing the almighty dollar, comes from. <laughs> Not about trying to get more of it, about what you do with what you got, right? This woman that encounters Jesus at the well, man, she's been thirsting for things that will not satisfy her in eternity. I'll do this. Jesus comes and explains to her that he has come to offer her living water that will satisfy her for all of eternity. He's literally offering himself to her as the drink of water that will refresh her soul in ways that no other human being could ever compete with. The problem for this woman is that she still doesn't believe Jesus. She still can't get past her physical thirst to see the bottomless pit that her spiritual thirst has become. This is why she responds to Jesus by saying, man, man, get me that water. I want me some of that, right? Get me a six-pack of that. I'd like to have some of that now. That way I don't have to come to this stinking well every day. I'm going to have to keep living in this same cycle of pain and thirst every day. Get me that. What this woman thirsts for has actually become a bottomless pit of hopelessness and despair for her. Jesus is here ready 
to demolish that barrier of thirst for her. Sometimes for me, um, when I come up against this barrier in my life, um, not thirst for things like comfort, right? Certain situations make me uncomfortable. I kind of want to get away from that and go hide. A thirst for comfort. Um, sometimes I, I, I thirst for prestige. I want people to think like, that guy knows a lot of things. Um, maybe thirst for power. Like wish, wish I could get something done. Wish people would see me as successful, maybe. I thirst for that. I thirst for acceptance. Just wish somebody would love me. Wish, wish I wouldn't feel this lonely, right? Sometimes I, I think that my wife should be the one that fulfills those, or my kids, or, or my church members, right? I begin looking in all the wrong places to fulfill a thirst within me that nobody else can satisfy. All those things, and they're not life-giving pursuits. You spend your life pursuing comfort, prestige, power, acceptance, success. It's not truly life-giving. It's a rat race that you'll just continue to, to follow in this cycle of sin, shame, guilt, sin, shame, guilt, sin, shame, guilt. And you just wind up thirsting for things and behaving in ways that you know are ungodly and unwholesome and not life-giving. They're dead ends. They're dead ends that create barriers to encountering the presence of Christ. But the good news, right? Isn't that what, isn't that what we always need to come back to? But the good news, Ephesians, but by God's grace, biggest but in all of Scripture. One of my favorite old rap songs, by the way. Actually, it's not. That's probably <laughs> sinful. Y'all can rebuke me afterwards if you'd like to, but I have another friend of mine that uses that as an illustration too. It just came to my mind. But by God's grace, but by God's grace, he reached out to you and I and crossed over all these barriers and offers us a drink of water so that we can become brand new. The good news is that Jesus has given me and you the gift of his life-giving presence so that I and you no longer need to thirst for things that will not satisfy us eternally. Jesus has demolished. He's broken down. He's blown up. He's ran over it with his tractor, okay? That barrier is no longer there. Blown up that thirst barrier so that you can thirst for him and him alone so that he might bring you the satisfaction that you want and truly need. And he did that by offering himself to you and to I so that our thirst can be quenched once and for all so that we can become Christ encountering people. That's what Jesus has done. That's the good news. Jesus came to quiet the storms of our souls and the storms of our lives by offering himself to us his very presence for us. So in conclusion, I would basically just summarize everything I said this way. Like I believe that God wants us to become a Christ encountering people. That's what I believe wholeheartedly as I look at this text. I believe he wants to break down the barriers that separate us from his loving presence. And there is no place that Jesus isn't willing to go. Hear that. There is no place that Jesus is not willing to go to. There's no person that is unreachable. There is no problem that Jesus doesn't have the resources to overcome. There is 
nothing in all of creation that will satisfy you and I like the tall drink of water that Jesus is. Jesus doesn't come to take from you or to use you or to abuse you or to entertain you or to smooth over your sin. Jesus comes to offer you and I brand new lives and that new life begins now. It begins by encountering now and then continuously by encountering him in every crack and crevice of our worn out lives. The only questions, just some application questions, they're probably way too heady and not practical enough. Give me a few weeks, right? But just a couple of questions. Like, will you let Jesus break down those barriers in your life? Will you receive his offer and gift of eternal life? Will you surrender every barrier to Jesus? Will you let Jesus come into every dark and simple place of your heart? Will you see that you aren't wasting God's time? Will you trust that you are the person that Jesus died for? Will you trust that Jesus himself is enough for you, that no person, place, or thing, or pursuit can replace him or satisfy you? My prayer today is that we would become Christ-encountering people, that we would become a people who encounter Jesus at the well of our hearts, and the well of our souls, and that he would do radical transformation and change and a work of salvation deep within us. That's, that's my prayer. So let me pray that with you. Father, Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word. We ask that your spirit would be just tangibly present among us, that you would continue to speak this word into our hearts and our lives that you would continue to shape and to mold us into um, just people who uh, encounter you daily. Lord, let your presence be what we thirst for and long for. And then, and God, I just ask that you would let that be what brings you honor and glory in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we close, we'll close with communion. And... Uh, two of us near the front to serve you. Um, the way that we do this is that you just kind of come down through the sides and receive the elements and go back to your seats. Um, a couple of things that we like to make sure we get in front of you is that communion is for believers. If you're here and you've trusted in Christ, you believed, you trusted the gospel and he's actively at work in your life, you're encountering him day by day, um, then this meal is for you because it's a celebration of what Christ has done for us. It's, it's, it's a tangible reminder of his work on our behalf. It's also a tangible reminder as connection to this message today that, that we want to encounter God's presence and the only way we could do that is by uh, Christ's body being broken at the cross and his blood being shed at the cross and, and then his work inside of us as he draws us to believe by faith, right? It's God's gift to us. So if you believe that and you're part of the family of God, this meal is for you to remember. If you're here and you're not a believer yet and you're just like, man, I don't know about all that stuff, um, then don't take, don't take this meal. Like, like, don't come forward for the meal. Not because we don't like you. Um, we actually love you. We just don't want anyone to begin to uh, partake in something that just feels like a religious activity that has no real meaning. Like, we don't want, we don't want that. God could be speaking to you now. As you've listened to this message, you've listened to his word. Um, he could be
be speaking to you now about your brokenness and your sin and your separation from him and the barriers that have held you back from walking with him. And you could be in that place where you're like, man, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he had my picture in his pocket. That he had my name written on his list. And then when he came, he came to die so that my life could be transformed, so that all those barriers could be broken down, so I could come into the presence of my Father and experience true love for the first time. And I want to repent of my sin and turn away from that and follow Christ wholeheartedly. That could be you. And if that's you, awesome. You need to come forward. There'll be two of us up here serving. Uh, We'd love to pray with any of you um, before you uh, consume the communion elements. For some of you, you're here and you're believers and you might just feel like, I got some things going on I need some prayer for. I got some sin in my life I need to really de-junk and ask God forgiveness for before I do that so I don't like bring some sort of uh, um, God's wrath almost down on me. I don't want to make this an impure thing. And that's good to do. It's good to examine yourselves and have have God just examine you um, so that as you come to receive Christ and his broken body and shed blood that you come um, with, with a heart that's being made right. And yet at the same time, there's a sense in which you should just be bum rushing the front, right? To get that because it is a reminder that Christ is everything for us. So thanks for letting me preach, guys. I love you a bunch. Let's stand and let's close in worship, communion, and prayer. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.